This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top-ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted, the Emmy-nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games and Netflix's Brainchild, comes Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math, in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time, solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Welcome to Mom and Mind, where we dive into all aspects of perinatal mental health and wellness related to pregnancy, birth, loss, postpartum, and new parenthood. It's so much more than postpartum depression. We raise the volume on all of these topics in the hopes that someday everyone will have the support and info that they deserve before they need it. Please note this podcast is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Welcome, I'm Dr. Kat. In this episode, we are talking with Jaren Soloff, and she's going to be sharing with us her personal story and her journey through becoming a single mom after getting out of a verbally and physically abusive relationship. So we do touch on a couple of sensitive topics in this episode. So gauge for yourself if this is something you're able or ready to listen to in terms of those sensitive details. Outside of that, Jaren's story is really one of a journey to finding herself as a single mother and her path towards healing. As a young single mother, she's passionate about creating a new narrative for moms to find their voice and connect to themselves. She has a unique experience raising a child while navigating college, career, and parenting, and hopes to share her journey of single parenting to empower others on this journey. Jaren is a San Diego-based registered dietitian and lactation educator, and she's the founder and owner of Empowered RD Nutrition and Lactation, a private practice dedicated to empowering women through their reproductive years from preconception to postpartum. And Jaren shares her story with us and really beautifully states some of the things that we should be thinking about in terms of changing the narrative around single motherhood and how we talk about single moms and think about them. And if you are a single mom, how you think about yourself through the process as well. So let's meet Jaren. Welcome, Jaren. Thank you so much for being with us. Hi, Dr. Kat. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I appreciate you reaching out and being willing to share your personal story with us and a little bit about how you're supporting moms now. So let's go ahead and start wherever you feel comfortable with your story. Yeah, I think it's important to just kind of give some context and lay the groundwork a little bit on just how I came to the place of becoming a single mom and I, my pregnancy was unplanned at the time. I was 19 years old. So just given how young I was, I had just gone off to college just a few months before and I'd gone up to college up north in California and ended up transferring, coming back home and going to school in San Diego. 
And at the time I found out I was pregnant, I mentioned I was 19 and you know, my daughter's father and I's relationship, we had just kind of been on and off again. So before I left for school and then during school and he was in San Diego at the time. And sadly, I was just kind of caught in this cycle again when I came back home and started school there. So when I found out I was pregnant, I, you know, had just moved in with three roommates. They had all these plans to study and travel abroad and you know, I was always just kind of a really good student. So I knew I wanted to pursue some type of graduate training. And, you know, I just kind of got in my bearings in college and at a new school. And, you know, the pregnancy definitely just threw a huge wrench in my plans. Right. Yeah, so, absolutely. No, unexpected, unplanned. You had other things in mind, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And unfortunately, you know, the conversations around sharing my pregnancy at that time with just family and friends were just extremely negative and shaming. And, Mm -hmm. you know, of course, like given my age, it's understandable that, you know, that would be part of the reaction. But part of the background is just, you know, my upbringing had been extremely strictly religious. And so the nature of like an unplanned young pregnancy was just filled with criticism and judgment and, you know, no one really understanding that I was caught in this cycle of abuse Mm. and really understanding how that functioned as a part of it. It was just a lot of blame on me and how I really created this. So the cycle of abuse with your boyfriend at the time and or your family? Yeah, cycle of abuse with my partner at the time. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So your family didn't know about that? I think they understood that it was an unhealthy relationship and definitely didn't like encourage it. And mm-hmm. I don't feel that they understood, you know, the severity of the emotional and the physical abuse and really understanding like, had they known that context and like the severity of which it was, then they might have understood you know, the pregnancy a little bit more and kind of what maybe laid the groundwork for that a bit. Okay. So it sounds like it was pretty bad. And at the time, did you realize how bad it was? I don't think I consciously did, you know, and I'm referring, I'm using the term and we could elaborate on a little bit more, but you know, it's the cycle of abuse is about like the type of manipulation that goes on when an individual or partner is being abused, whether it's, you know, emotional manipulation, or it becomes physical in nature. But your brain really just goes to this like, fight or flight response. And so no, you know, I really didn't understand, like what was going on in that current dynamic. And I just really didn't know how to get out of it. Mm -hmm. Right, right. So you became pregnant in that context in that relationship. Yeah, I did. Okay. And did your boyfriend at the time, did he know that you were pregnant? Mm-hmm, he did. Oh, okay. And was he supportive or no? Supportive is kind of a tricky word. I mean, I think there was a lot of pressure around, like, this is the only option. Like, you are going to have this baby. And I think that is really related to part of, like, the power manipulation that is at play in abuse as well. That the pregnancy and the child is kind of going to be an extension of that. And so 
you know, when there's teen pregnancy or when there's, you know, a 19 year old that's pregnant, especially in the context of an abusive relationship, there's likely also other conversations around, you know, what's the best decision for the mom and the baby in this scenario. And there weren't a lot of those conversations. It was really like, this is the only option. Mm. So, mm-hmm. right. So you didn't even really have a chance to think, I'm assuming, think about what your position was. Right. Yeah, I didn't. And I think at the time, you know, like I kind of touched on how just our brain responds when we're in that cycle. It's like, I didn't even consciously really think that that could be an option. It was just very reactive to, you know, my partner at the time. And yeah, it wasn't like, oh, you know, this is a really tough spot you're in. And, you know, we could have conversations around the different ways that this could look and there just wasn't really a conversation around that. And I think part of it too, as I mentioned, is just the family dynamic I grew up in with, you know, very conservative religious values. And so there's not going to be a lot of other conversations at STEM when that's kind of the environment that I was around. This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go. And that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Uliana Ortube. And she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. Right. So either looking back on it or what you know from that time, how were you doing through, you know, finding out you're pregnant and with the kind of, I guess, pressure all around you there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wasn't doing well at all, you know, and I think like we're talking about, you know, it's like, are you conscious of it when you're in the cycle? And it's just kind of like this fog where you don't really understand what your like emotional experience is. And here I am, you know, and I'm like 19 and I live with like three sorority girls and I'm going to classes, you know, in the midst of like 
finding out this huge news and yeah, it was just extremely like difficult to process that Mm -hmm. this was going to be the next step of where my life was going to go. Right. Right. Oh yeah. That is a lot, a really a lot to kind of get yourself through and wrap your head around. So what happened from there? So I finished out the semester at school and had just taken the summer to kind of make the move actually back home and just feel a little bit supported by family and just try to figure out, you know, what the next year was going to look like. And during this time, you know, I think just the hormonal aspects too of, you know, the pregnancy and knowing this like role of motherhood was going to be coming as well was just really put me in protective mode. Mm-hmm. So I think that really translated to my relationship as well. And unfortunately, the partner was deep in addiction. So he, you know, was abusing alcohol and it became much more easier for me to start being assertive and for me to start voicing just my needs in the relationship, which mm-hmm. meant, you know, that we were not going to be together and that I was going to be starting on this journey of pregnancy and parenthood on my own. So I think that's where I started just kind of like bracing myself of like, okay, like this is the position you're in. Like mm-hmm. you're going to be doing this alone. You can't depend on him. Like this isn't going to be this, you know, idyllic, I don't know, whatever you think of when it's, you know, a supportive partner and birth right. and right. parenthood journey. So just started kind of navigating and preparing for what that looked like over the next few months. Right. So you broke off the relationship? Mm-hmm. Yeah. At that time, it... we were pretty much separated. Okay. And that process had been happening for a while? Yeah, it did. And like I said, it was just kind of, I think it's just pretty typical of relationships that are unhealthy or abusive is there's usually a cycle of of like conflict and then of like they call it the honeymoon stage of like getting back together and this usually just continues and continues which was very much what was going on you know in the first few months of our relationship and after the pregnancy it was just this I think just like internal strength and protection over myself and my child that I wasn't going to be able to stay in that cycle anymore. Right. I mean, yeah, thanks for speaking to that. I do see that a lot in various forms when people are in difficult situations, either in their relationships or difficult relationships in general, where having that pregnancy just kinds of brings a new sense of reality to everything and can bring things into very sharp focus about what you want out of your life and what you want for that child. It really does quite a lot to shift your perspective in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Okay. So you were able to break things off and how did that go? I think it has been a, you know, for the first few months and then for the first, you know, maybe two or three years of my daughter's life, it was really rough. You know, there were attempts to try and repair the relationship. And I think it gets really tricky. You know, after the baby is born, there's a lot of like idealization that can happen. And like the honeymoon phase of like trying to make it work again. So I think there were a lot of attempts, but really through it all, it's like internally and instinctively, you know, I knew that this wasn't going to work. But I think just given my age and the circumstance, like it was just this psychological kind of protection of like, 
wow, like you're really going to be doing this alone and you really can't, he's an unhealthy, unwell person. Like you can't rely on him, you know, no matter how much you wish that were a part of it. Right. So that takes a while to really, really be able to see clearly and make the final kind of, well, I mean, I guess you're connected to him on some level through your daughter for sure, but being able to set that like emotional boundary is really hard. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I'll probably touch on this later too, but I didn't have a lot of social support at the time when the nature of abuse is very isolating as well. So social support, you know, whether it's friends or whether it's family, it was very limited. And so I think that was part of the fear too of completely like detaching and letting go of the relationship would mean that I had no support at all, you know, because I had really either like exhausted or not nurtured a lot of the relationships in my life up until that point. So I think it took a lot of work to try and build up that just support for me to feel like I could completely let go and I was going to be okay on my own. Right. So you were saying that, you know, having the social supports was a little bit difficult or the lack thereof. And I think in part because of the abuse of the relationship kept you isolated. How was your family in response to all of this, you being a single mom? Yeah, it was really tough. You know, I mean, I think the one positive is, you know, my mom was a single mother. And so, you know, I think outwardly, she was very much trying to be supportive to just like be in solidarity with me. And at the same time, I think there was an inability for her to be able to like understand my emotional experience and to be able to just really validate it as well. I think when individuals don't understand the cycle of abuse, there's a tendency to blame the individual. And I think that that was a lot of what I was feeling was like, you caused this, like you chose this, this is the consequence of your action. And so my mom is the one piece. And then, you know, at the time we had kind of grown up with these really close, you know, family friends that had the influence of that really conservative religious background. And it was just completely shaming, Mm. you know, so it was completely, and I think this is where just the narrative really started of really negative self-talk of, Mm -hmm. yeah, this is because you chose this and, you know, because you made this decision and you brought this upon yourself, like you're going to have to struggle. Like this is not going to be easy and it's going to impact your career and, Mm. you know, finances. And like, of course, of course, single motherhood is going to impact those things. But it was just this like, this narrative that like, I was going to have to like be punished for this, essentially, you know, that was going to have to be part of my story. Wow. And that it's felt at such a deep level too. I mean, it's those like self messages are kind of sneaky in there because they're being told to you everywhere. So it probably feels like, you know, your thoughts are now in line with what everyone else is telling you and that that's true. Absolutely. It was like confirmation, Mm -hmm. you know, because the self talk, just, you know, my experience, regardless of what I was hearing from others was so damaging already, right? Like I had already had so many goals and like things that, you know, I wanted to do for myself. And it was just a confirmation that like, that wasn't going to be able to happen. 
Wow, that's really challenging. I'm curious then, again, either kind of looking back now or what you knew then, how how was your mental wellness at the time? Yeah, you know, I didn't grow up in like a family that talked about therapy or that was, you know, really insightful and like gave me that language. So at the time I had no understanding that looking back now it was like, yeah, my depression was awful. Mm. My like, you know, just sense and perception of self was extremely negative. Just kind of at baseline, I'm highly perfectionistic and have a pretty high anxiety level. And so, you know, just how much that was being exacerbated through this experience was extremely high. Right. So just in terms of the time frame or time span, from the time you kind of found out you were pregnant through the pregnancy, do you think you were depressed and anxious during that period of time? Yeah, absolutely. And I think there was probably pre-existing just with the relationship dynamic, of course, and Mm -hmm. even more so in the prenatal period, it just got exacerbated more so. So by the time you had your daughter, what were things like in the relationship and how was the birth and all that? Mm -hmm. My daughter's father was like present somewhat. There really wasn't much of an engagement of a relationship. And I think it was just, you know, a few weeks after, because of course this is like the ultimate honeymoon phase of like, Oh, we just had a child together and like, we can repair this. And, you know, there was like, I didn't feel like there was any celebration per se, like during the pregnancy, either from family and just kind of like anywhere that like this was something to be celebrated, like bringing a child into the world and, mm-hmm. you know, expecting that. And I think there was a little bit of that, you know, shortly after the birth and the early postpartum period. So that was really relieving, but it ended pretty quickly with, you know, my partner having a relapse on alcohol and just getting, confirmation again of like, yeah, this is not going to be your reality. Mm -hmm. So that was part of it. And very early, I, you know, was like determined to, my daughter was born in in fall and I had classes starting and I planned to go back as early as possible. So I think she was maybe five weeks old and I took my postpartum self and sat in class because I was just so determined to like, you know, not let this, you know, veer a different direction. Wow. Did you have her with you or did you have help to watch her while you were in class? Yeah. In the early postpartum, the first like three months, I was still living with my mom at the time. So it was helpful to have her be able to provide some of that care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's quite an, a level of determination at five weeks. Yeah. I mean, at five weeks, I was... not functioning. So it's pretty amazing that your determination led you to be able to do that. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I was functioning either, (laughs) you know, and I'll probably speak more to this as well, but I think like just in that phase, everything was so chaotic for me. Like I had really no part of my identity was familiar to me at all. And like navigating all of these different role changes was just completely overwhelming. So I feel like school and academics has always just been a strength for me. And it was just probably the only thing that really grounded me. It was like the only thing that was familiar, like, okay, I can do this. I can go to class. 
it provides this like feedback loop of like, okay, you turn in the assignments, you get good grades. Mm -hmm. And like, it was just this kind of way for me to feel safe, really. Right. That makes so much sense. It's something you know, something you're comfortable with, something you feel achievement connected to. And I mean, as a new mom, were you still 19 at that time when you gave birth? Yes. Okay, Mm -hmm. right. So a 19-year-old mom, just in general, that your transition into motherhood at that age, how did you feel? Like, did you feel like, okay, I can do this? Or did you feel like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. Any of those feelings, just in relation to motherhood in particular? Yeah, yeah. I definitely think that I was just feeling anxious overall. If anything, looking back, it was just like a lot of reassurance seeking. And I think most moms, you know, if I imagine that will probably be part of my experience again, right? Is we want that just validation to like know that what we're doing is okay. But I think what added to that was just kind of the negativity around my pregnancy and like the messages that like I wasn't going to be prepared for this and I wasn't going to be able to do this really impacted just you know, my confidence level. Mm-hmm. I think just objectively looking back that I did really well, just given the circumstances I had, I was able to have a doula present throughout the pregnancy and then the birth. And I think that was really positive to have someone yeah. kind of outside of all these dynamics that was positive and was celebrating the birth and was, you know, I had one or two postpartum visits and, you know, they were able to just encourage my just the intuition that we have as mothers and regardless of my age that I still had that you know that Mm -hmm. there wasn't this like age I had to be in order to feel qualified as a mother. Mm -hmm. Wow so Amy you're listing kind of some of the supports that were helpful for you you had a doula which is awesome Mm -hmm. and then returning to school which kind of it sounds like helped you feel like you were doing something for yourself but also to keep you grounded Were there other things that were particularly helpful for you, resources that you used? In the immediate like postpartum period, I mean, those were probably the basis. I hadn't started therapy until, you know, I think like three years after, which would have been awesome during that time. But Mm -hmm. that was a good, you know, amount of support for that time. Yeah. What do you feel like you could have really used that you didn't get outside of obviously partner support? Mm-hmm. Yeah, partner support would have been huge. I think, you know, I mentioned that like I didn't get therapy until maybe like three years after, but mm-hmm. that being such a huge piece, you know, I had just gone through such a huge role transition and, you know, in, in the early postpartum and few months after the birth of my daughter was you know, heading back to school and trying to like simultaneously navigate and being a perfectionist, like master both of those roles. So Mm -hmm. I'm a new mom and I want to master and be quote, quote, good at this. And I'm still a student and I want to be able to like compete and still, you know, keep pace with my peers who are my age. So that would have been huge. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Did any of your peers, people that you went to school with know about, I guess you moved back home. So did anyone know about your pregnancy and know about your daughter? And Yeah, yeah, I did. And I had a, you know, had kind of a circle of girlfriends that I had, you know, continued friendships with. And, you know, it was positive. I think 
again, just kind of looking back and like the question you asked about, like, did your family know, you know, the level of, mm-hmm. of abuse in your relationship? And I think my friends also just knew that it wasn't good, but nobody was asking questions and mm-hmm. I didn't really have an outlet to be able to share like what was actually going on. And, mm-hmm. you know, during the postpartum phase, just the level of healing that was going to take for me to recover from this relationship and the psychological aspect of it. And also, right. you know, they're 19, 20 and are in school and partying and right. traveling or whatever it is, you know, my experience was just totally different. So I think the level of depth and like genuineness was hard to get in a lot of my friendships just because our experiences mm-hmm. were so different at that time. Right. They have zero or very little context to what it's like to have a baby at that age, unless yeah. some of them are also experiencing the same thing. But right. Yeah. I mean, typically too, and where the assumptions around mothering is that you seek out other people who are going through similar things to you. But if your friend group is young and or not at that stage of life yet, it's hard. It's harder to connect with people around the reality of it all. Yeah, absolutely. And you asked, you know, like, would have been helpful during this time. And the other thing I was going to add was just, you know, like community with other mothers. Mm -hmm. I didn't have any of that. And a large majority of it was self-imposed, just because I think there was so much negativity externally, and also the way I felt about myself, like, I kind of excluded myself, because I didn't feel like, I could join these mom groups or Mm, any of these supportive, you know, just gatherings because I felt like my age was a barrier. Like I wasn't going to be able to relate to them and it just further, you know, promoted that isolation for me. Mm, Right. So, right. You have several different things impacting you at the same time, which sounds like it felt isolating in and of itself. And then, just literally not having the people around that you could reach out to and your support. Yeah, absolutely. And just like normalization of motherhood Mm -hmm. too, you know, like part of those communities of, you know, mommy groups and during that postpartum time is, you know, and the whole like postpartum depression and anxiety piece, like I might have had more awareness that that was, part of my experience, if I was able to share about it or to hear from another mother and say, oh, actually, this is not normal. Like this doesn't have to be part of, you know, what you're going through right now. When would you say you kind of figured out or found out that what you were going through wasn't quote unquote normal? I really don't think I was able to have a language or identify it until my daughter was three or four years old. And that was only when I began therapy. They didn't know those terms or that language, even growing up and, you know, having experience with therapy or any of that. What was that like for you to kind of either realize or understand what you had been going through? It was extremely validating. It was so relieving to know that like there was a label for what was going on because I think there was so much fear that this was who I was going to continue to be for the rest of my life. Mm. And like part of the whole depression anxiety piece was like, I've mentioned just that really negative internal dialogue that was resounding in my head. And, 
you know, it's like, is this the way it's going to be? Like, I'm always going to have to work this hard. I'm always going to have to struggle. And it was just so limiting for me. So it was really, really validating and healing to have a label for, okay, this is what was going on for me. And it doesn't always have to be like this. That's awesome. Wow. That's a long time to struggle. Absolutely. But I can almost hear the relief in your voice just remembering what that was like to know that you're not alone and it's not just you and there's a name for this. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's kind of like the chicken or the egg thing. It's like, did I not know it wasn't, you know, part of the experience because I had isolated myself so much or from other moms and just like the motherhood experience or was it because there just wasn't as much conversation in the culture, you know, seven years ago where we weren't talking about postpartum depression and anxiety. Right. And it could be all of that. And there's so many factors. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're, Amy, more of a, we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, Mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. And you were describing, too, that you might have had depression and anxiety prior to, and you know, that is a compounding factor. Yeah, there's so much that goes into it. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's like looking at it, it's like, well, how did I get myself in this abusive relationship in the first place, you know, Mm -hmm. and like, what were some of the maintenance factors that probably set me up for that, you know? Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. So your daughter's how old now? My daughter is seven. Oh, great. So you've been getting support and or healing since she was three or four. Mm-hmm. Oh, great. Yeah, it was like the end of my kind of the last year of college, I think. And I I don't even know how I found out of it, but I utilized the student counseling services, which was awesome. You know, I had access to an amazing psychologist and, you know, started being able to do some of the work and I continue to, you know, work with her to this day. Oh, that's great. That's really awesome. 
Okay. So, and along the way you finished school. I did. Yeah. And so I graduated college, my undergraduate when my daughter was four and I, you know, went on to my background is in nutrition and I went on to get my dietitian credential and certainly like as my daughter was older, it was becoming much easier just in terms of like the level of care that was being provided and her having a lot more independence and just, you know, mobility. But, you know, during college, she was in care full time. Right. And I think looking back on it, I wish I could have like given myself a little bit of grace of like, hey, you don't have to take a full course load and like graduate with your peers on time. Like it might make sense to to do this part time and just take a little longer or to take a break and go back or, you know, whatever would have made sense. But, mm-hmm. you know, that was just how it happened. And I was able to get a, you know, a great job at a, you know, really renowned university and, you know, worked for the past two to three years just in my profession. And I feel like that period of having a career and having an income and having access to good psychological support and, you know, better a social network has just been like tremendously healing. Right. Right. Absolutely. That is a lot, a lot to do. I mean, a lot to go through in a short period of time in terms of raising your daughter and going to school. Um, And it just makes me think of how the strengths that you had and have uh, to get you through this period of time, looking back on it. And maybe even now, what do you think were your strengths that help you get through this? I think of like resilience, really. You know, it's like, when people ask now or even then, like how I did it, I'm kind of at a loss for words. I think like my mindset was so like, just, this is what I have to do. Like, I didn't really know what else to do, whether it was the identity piece or just this, you know, like a self-prescribed goal I had given myself to try and make it different. But I think I was extremely resilient, like given the circumstances that I was in when it could have looked so many different ways, but mm-hmm. that's a huge piece of it. Yeah, that's absolutely true for you. And then I'm also thinking about also other single moms who are having to navigate their life in whatever context it is, either choosing to or finding out that they are going to be doing this by themselves. It does take an incredible amount of strength and resilience to do that. Yeah, absolutely. From your perspective and what you've been through, do you have any insights on what you think we could all be doing better to support single mothers? Yeah, I think like support is probably the biggest thing that comes to mind, you know, and like my circumstance and my journey is just one example of like how I found myself as a single mother. And it's not necessarily representative of all the different ways that women are going to find themselves as a single parent, you know, whether it's through leaving a relationship, whether it's through, you know, becoming a widow, all types of different directions. So when that becomes part of the picture, I think it would be tremendous to know that there is village support around, you know, single parenting. So Mm -hmm. I think that's probably the biggest fear of, you know, individuals if they're thinking about leaving a relationship or, looking at navigating the parenting journey solo is 
Like, am I going to get the support that I need? Am I going to be able to do this? Because it is designed to be, you know, a two person plus job. So just knowing that there are, you know, just neighbors that can help. And if there are ways that you can find family support nearby, I don't think that it would have been so tremendously difficult if I had not had my mom nearby and continue to have her nearby mm-hmm. just location wise to this day sure. um, for me to be where I'm at, you know, just in my career and life. So I think that's, that's definitely huge. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And how is it that you're supporting moms now through your career? You know, even prior to my pregnancy, I knew that I had wanted to just work with women in some way. And, I think it's taken me some time to figure out exactly what that looks like, you know, and I feel like a huge passion and responsibility to serve teen moms in some way. And it doesn't necessarily look exactly like that right now, but so I work with women who are you know, breastfeeding. So I work with them as lactation consultant, you know, soon after they have their baby in the early postpartum period. And then I work with them as a dietitian just in the, you know, beginning parts of motherhood. So any kind of feeding challenges, I'll support them through that as well. Awesome. Awesome. Great. So you're around a lot of mommies, Mm -hmm. (laughs) a lot of moms in your work. That's great. Yeah. And I think, like I said, it's like, it takes a lot of different forms, but Mm -hmm. it was just an area that was just extremely important to me. Right. Absolutely. So if you'd like to leave us with any kind of words of hope or encouragement to any moms who may be listening, single moms in particular. Yeah, absolutely. The one thing I wanted to make sure I touched on was creating like a different narrative around single motherhood. You know, I think there is still so much stigma and shame around being a single mom. That's certainly been part of, you know, my experience, but it doesn't have to be that way. Like, you know, single moms are not like inept, right? Like we can raise strong, resilient kids. We can still build businesses that we want. We can have the careers that we want. And we also can have unique interests that are, you know, outside of motherhood. Like Mm -hmm. we are still individuals and humans ourselves. And I think just given, you know, our status as single moms, it can make it extremely difficult to have the whole self-care piece. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, I've come to learn just how important that is. Like me feeling like I have my own identity and own interests is extremely important. And I think we need to see more single mothers doing well and talking about it and, you know, not feeling ashamed. For mm-hmm. so long, I felt like it was this huge shameful secret that I was single and I was unmarried and I was so young raising a kid and if I would have been more open and shared, you know, what my experience was, then I probably could have rallied a lot of support Mm. and I didn't, you know? So if I would have seen and heard more conversations around single motherhood and probably would have been extremely empowering. Yeah, you're totally right. I love all of that. Thank you for sharing that. And in particular that this kind of taking the shame and stigma away and changing the narrative and changing how we talk about single moms. And that's makes perfect sense. And absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh, I really, really hope that everyone can hear that and take that to heart and incorporate that into how we think and talk about and with single mothers and how we support them. Yeah, me too. I think it's extremely important. 
Yeah. I was just going to mention like single moms not being afraid to do well. Like I think a lot of single parents, you know, my mindset was the best I can do is just like, okay. And it doesn't have to be just, okay. It can actually Mm -hmm. be like, we can thrive, right? Like Mm -hmm. we can not just survive, but we can do really, really well. And like I talked about just a minute ago, like we need to continue to talk about that so that we can see those examples. Mm -hmm. Right. And you were kind of touching on that throughout, as you were talking about it, kind of feeling like you just had to kind of make it through and just bear this kind of struggle and that you were going to like in the very beginning that you were going to have to suffer. And that was part of this. And I just love that you've turned that around and turned it on its head. And you're saying, no, that that is not the narrative we need to believe. Mm-hmm. It's really empowering. Yeah. And I think that mindset keeps a lot of women in relationships that maybe are not healthy or serving them in a lot of ways because they're fearful that that's going to be their reality. So I think it's important to find out that, yeah, you can do really well. Yeah. That's beautiful. Thank you for that. I'm just so hopeful that everyone can hear this and really, really take this to heart. And I thank you so much for your time and sharing your story and the work that you're doing and advocating for mothers. Likewise, Dr. Kat, your podcast has just been such a wealth of information and it's something I wish I would have had seven years ago. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you again, Jaren, for coming on with us. If you guys would like to get connected with Jaren, go to empoweredrd.com. Find her on Instagram or Facebook at empoweredrd. And as usual, if you have not yet subscribed to the Mom and Mind podcast, please join us and subscribe from your favorite listening platform. We'd love for you also to join us at the Mom and Mind Connection Facebook group, where we are creating a community around the Mom and Mind podcast to share about our experiences just a little deeper. Thank you for joining us. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.